Loving Father, as we uh, gather here this morning, uh, we pray that we would heed your word. Uh, Father, lead us in the way of faith and repentance, and we ask this all to your praise and glory. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is uh, talk three in a series, sermon series on the topic of gossip. And uh, the topic certainly has done one thing, it's got us talking uh, in a good way, a positive way. And remember, as uh, we learn together, I stand together with you on this topic, and I feel the pokes and the prods that you feel. And as we've gone through this series so far, maybe you feel like me, uh, you find yourself catching yourself in conversations as the overflow of the heart speaks out it comes you fell for it again so what are we to do well one thing we must do is remember to define gossip correctly and that was our first talk in this series we need to know the enemy so gossip in case you missed it has been defined as a bad report behind someone's back out of a bad heart and last week we heard how we can be aware of how gossip shows itself. The, the spy, the grumbler, the backstabber, the chameleon, the busybody. But basic to all of these examples was the problem of one's heart. And so this morning it's time for us to dig uh, a little deeper and really cut to the heart of the matter. Uh, most, if not all, sinful gossip includes the sin of judging others. When we sinfully gossip, even before we go and bear a shameful truth behind someone's back, our bad hearts have already passed sentence upon that person. And that doesn't matter what kind of gossiper we are. And James chapter 4 has much to say on this topic. In fact, the whole book does. But particularly verse 11 uh, we heard this morning, if you have your Bibles open, James 4 is a good place to be. Verse 4, sorry, James chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Now this word slander is important. It doesn't mean only to tell malicious lies. The meaning is much broader. It speaks, uh, it's to speak against someone and talk them down, to speak ill of them, to disdain someone, or to ruin someone, to run someone down verbally. It's to attack their reputation and their standing. It's a report that paints the other person somehow as an opponent. An opponent, which is interesting when James addresses this to brothers and sisters. What a sad state of affairs it would be that brothers and sisters would relate to each other as opponents. That, that cannot be for the body of Christ. To belittle one another, to pour out contempt, to mock, to hurt, to harm, to destroy, to rejoice in what you estimate to be a shortcoming in someone else's character, and James, the brother of Jesus, says, don't do it. Why not? Well, he goes on. Verse 11. 
James says, anyone who speaks against his brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you are sitting in judgment on it. In verse 12, we'll go on and say, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now, we need to uh, do some serious thinking here. Uh, there is a popular cry these days. We hear it all the time. Don't judge, don't we? I've heard it here. I've heard it out there. I've seen it on the TV. Uh, it's, it's become the cry of the socially progressive left, I must say. Do not judge. Uh, and there's a reason for, for that. The cry, do not judge, is offered as a way of making anything and everything permissible. If no one can judge, then anything goes. So you're not allowed a view on same-sex marriage. You're not allowed a view on gender theory or euthanasia because do not judge, right? Read your Bible. Even Jesus says it himself. And so the conclusion is that anything goes. Sin is permissible because apparently no one is meant to judge. Now, we need to be able to respond to that as Christians because we have to make judgments all the time. We are called to make responsible decisions even about other people. At times, as part of our duty of care in our love for other people, we need to assess character and reliability of others. We appoint leaders. People take on responsibilities. The Bible encourages us to be wise and discerning people who use good judgment, not bad judgment. Even Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 7, Hey, you lot, judge me rightly. So then we might ask, well, what is Jesus on about in Matthew 7? Because Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. It's, is this a contradiction? And of course, the answer is no. No, he's having a crack at the Pharisees, the religious elite. And one of their problems is that they're judgmental. Judgmental, they're self-righteous. They carry a heart, the disposition of which condemns. And that can happen when we rush to judgment. So Proverbs 18, verse 13. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. So the encouragement is not to jump to conclusions. This can happen when we only have one side of the story. And of course, with every story, there's two sides. Proverbs 18, verse 17 says, In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. And so here's another encouragement before we condemn to suspend judgment until we have all the facts. Or Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Principle, don't believe everything you hear. And it's to, uh, it's, it's to make the mistake of quickly assuming motives. And so we see there in these Proverbs the encouragement to reserve judgment, to hold out grace, and maybe even assume the best first, 
not the worst. It doesn't mean that we need to become like ostriches and stick our heads in the sand and pretend nothing is wrong when sin is to be called sin. But it is also right for us to hold out hope for people and not instantly assume the worst. See, at the heart of this, sinful judging is assuming the worst about people too quickly. And if we've been part of a church long enough, we'll know that Christians are a little too good at this. Some of this has to do with our doctrine of sin, because we know people have bad motives and do bad things. And some of this has to do with consistency and predictability, because... You know, some people are stuck in the same pattern. They don't change and there's no surprise and there's no change and there's no transformation in this, in this part of their life. But as Christians, we are called to hold out hope for people as well. And so I wonder how much gossip would be cut out of our life if we were slower to judge and if we stopped sharing these self-righteous judgments. How much gossip would be eliminated if we paused and we weren't so hasty to jump to conclusions? But of course there's more. There's always more, isn't there? Uh, the other thing is we need to be aware of our pride. Uh, and so this isn't only about our neighbour and how we relate to our neighbour, this, this next point speaks to our relationship with God. Let me explain. James chapter 4, verse 11. You see it again. Brothers and sisters, do not slander any one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. You see that? Now, what law? Well, let's, let's summarise the law. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Let's make the law easy for us. God's people are commanded to love God and to love their neighbour. And you would, well, 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 yeah, Jesus says the same. Jesus repeated the command, love God, love your neighbour. James chapter 2, verse 8 says, love your neighbour as yourself. And isn't it true then that when we condemn our brother or sister that it's a complete disregard for this command to love. And when we disregard this command to love, it's like we're sitting in judgment of God's command that somehow we know better. That we decide what's good and evil like Adam and Eve. And that's just plain pride and arrogance. The Pharisees are similar. They loved, they said they loved God's laws so much, they thought they'd even embellish them and add to them and make them bigger than they needed to be. And, and one example of that is a Sabbath rest, of uh, a Sabbath rest that God commanded, a beautiful command where people were to remember and to love God that day, resting in Him. And the Pharisees turned it into a restriction of how many steps you could take on a Sunday. They turned a beautiful command into a straitjacket. And it's little wonder Jesus yells at them and says, do not judge. See, we don't get to sit in 
judgment of God's command. We don't get to lift ourselves above that which God has declared. We're not above God's law and we're not above the giver of the law. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. We know who that is, don't we? It's the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Do you see what James is saying? You don't get to do that. You don't get to choose that. You don't get to play God. And when we judge our neighbour and when we condemn our neighbour, in our pride we're elevating ourselves above God. And so your offence isn't only about your relationship with your neighbour. Your offence is against our Lord God. He's saying you're not above the law of love. Which means, this is where the horse kicks, alright? It means that even when people do the wrong thing, we are always to try and do the right thing. Think about that for a moment. I had a bishop say that to me many, many years ago when I was a young curate very wise man, Peter Brain. Even when people do the wrong thing, when they hurt us or wound us or betray us or gossip about us or dishonour us, uh, you can make a long list there. Even when people do that, we are always to try and do the right thing. That's tough. But that's how God relates to us. The right thing is not disdain and condemnation and gossip. The right thing is peace and love and forgiveness. Wherever that's possible. Not always possible. But there it is. Now let's have a closer look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7 verses 1 to 5. It's written, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with this measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, when I read this, sometimes I imagine the three stooges. Do you remember those blokes? Can you imagine Jesus saying here, you know, there's a, hey, there's a telephone pole, telegraph pole sticking out of Moe's eye socket, but Moe is so intent on getting a speck of dust out of Larry's eye, or maybe it's Curly's, who knows? Well, in the end, someone's going to get walloped, right? And so the encouragement again is, don't play God. We are not all knowing, we are not all present, and we are not perfectly objective. Later on in chapter 7 of uh, Matthew's Gospel, verse 12, Jesus says, So in everything... 
and do to others what you would have them do to you. See, how would we have others treat us? With what standard would we have others apply to us? There's a story I'll share. A young couple moved house. Next morning, they are eating breakfast. The young woman could see into her neighbour's yard and her neighbour is hanging out her washing. And the young woman says to her husband, huh, not very clean. Doesn't look like she knows how a washing machine works, that lady. Can't imagine what kind of laundry soap she is using. And every time she saw this, the same comment followed. And the husband would remain silent. A month later, there's the neighbour hanging out the washing again. But to the woman's surprise, the washing is clean. And she says to her husband, look husband, her washing is clean. Finally, someone has taught her the fine art of using the laundry. And the husband replied, no dear, I was up early this morning and I cleaned our windows. <laughs> Proverbs 11 verse 12 Whoever derides their neighbour has no sense but the one who has understanding holds their tongue See what we see in others depends on the window by which we look through and prideful judgment is no good. And what is the antidote according to James chapter 4 verse 10? It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And that's the antidote, isn't it? That's a gospel response. The gospel of grace is the lens by which we are to relate to other people. And so we need to check our judgments, check our motives, and to remember our place. We need grace, and we need humility, and we need submission to God, that we would love him, and as he calls us to love him, we'd love our neighbour. What else is there? There is one more thing. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us about what this love looks like. It says that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And of course, if we love like this, then we won't delight in evil. And we won't believe the worst about others. And we will always hope for something better for our people. If we love like this, grace is at the forefront. Uh, this love doesn't pretend all is well. And this love doesn't sweep things under the carpet. But it does hang onto hope for others and it believes the best. It's a love that Jesus demonstrates for us. 
I mean, you can't imagine Jesus gossiping about us, can you? Think about it. He's got all the information. Yet, rushing to judgment is not a problem for him like it is for us. And he's the lawgiver of all things. He's the judge. And he uses his power to serve, not to condemn, but to love and to serve. He doesn't use his power for gossip or to shred people's reputations. Jesus is patient and kind. He does not delight in evil. He doesn't sinfully judge us. He wasn't above the law of love, but instead he fulfills it. He loves us. In fact, we know he loves us such that when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate like we might. He made no threats with his mouth. He committed no sin. No deceit was in his mouth. No, instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Humanity on that day did a terrible thing, did a wicked thing. Yet Jesus did a loving thing and he did the best thing as he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And so, brothers and sisters, may we love others and may we love one another the way Christ first loved us. Amen.